welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. So today I'm having another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation, this time with Matt Barnes. So Matt is co-founder and parent coach at The Education Game. And over the last 10 years, he's been uh, coaching thousands of parents on how to grow their children into self-directed learners for the 21st century. That's right. Um, and so that they can get the traditional academic success and the readiness for the 21st century. That's Probably right. something that the normal system doesn't really it give It doesn't. Up. It doesn't, unfortunately. We will certainly talk about that today, I'm sure. Yes. Amazing. So very warm welcome to the Flourishing Education podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, fabulous. So Matt, do you want to add anything to this brief intro? Of, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'll add, I'll add a couple of things just to so your listeners know a little bit more about who I am. Um, I have, in addition to coaching parents, I have been uh, a part of nine different educational institutions from a public, selective public university and a private college all the way down to pre-K systems. And I've seen the entire educational system here in the U.S. and it doesn't work. I mean, that's the short answer to it. Um it works for a small fraction of kids, um, but for the vast majority of kids, it is a very painful experience to go through school. Uh, and so I've been coaching parents on what does it look like to think about learning and to focus on learning rather than to focus on schooling. And what we find is that kids and parents have a much more enjoyable um, you know, 13 years of, of their uh, educational lives when they're permitted to do what we call uh, learner-centered education, where the child actually becomes an integral part of the decision-making around what they wanna learn, how they wanna learn it, et cetera. Um, kids aren't widgets, kids are not assembly line pieces. Uh, and so that's really the work I've done. And again, my, my own kids are kind of the best example of that. And we can certainly talk more about that if you'd like later in the show. Amazing. So um, I want to start with that. Why parents? Okay, mm. that's the first question that comes to, to mind. So um, I, I know why, because I've been, you know, in the podcast is, is, it talks a lot to, to parents and a lot yeah. of parents listen to this podcast. Um, but why do you think parents need to be targeted? And or, yeah. you know, talk about great. that. Yeah, great question. So when... Um, when we tend to think about our kids and their development, we tend to look to an, a third party, a school, as an example. Um, what I didn't tell you though, is a little bit about my background a little more. I used to run medical practices. In fact, I ran a large children's outpatient center here in Houston, Texas. And what I realized is that the relationship between the parent and the pediatrician is exactly the relationship you want between yourself and any learner or any educator, excuse me. 
And that is this, the parent comes to the pediatrician for advice and counsel because the pediatrician is the expert, but the pediatrician never, ever takes responsibility for the health of the child. The pediatrician knows that it's the parent. If you can't get to the parent, that child is not going to be healthy. So in that environment, in a pediatric environment, the pediatrician looks to the parent. And so when I started to move into education, I kept saying, well, why are, why are schools making so many decisions? No one seems to have even asked this, the parent. And then of course, as the child ages up and gets a little older, again, no one seems to ask the child. So I start with the parent, particularly in the younger ages, the parent controls when they eat, when they go to bed, what they wear. I mean, you know, um, diaper changes, that's all parent, right? So if the parent realizes the power that they hold in their hands, the ability to influence this child in future generations, that to me is the highest leverage point in the world. And, and, I, and I also have a, I'm a parent myself, right? And I'm passionate about the opportunities that parents have to shape their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids. That to me is the part that makes me excited. Mm, I love that. Mm. And um, part of the reason I, I wrote or co-wrote with my, my uh, friend, Dominique, um, how to grow grown up is because oh, yeah. because I felt that parents are you know so so I'll give you the the, the metaphor I love metaphors and images Me the too. images I have is as a parent when they're it's early years and primary school here in the UK you're quite involved you go to the you know you stand by the gates of the school and you pick them up and you get involved in your kids education right in the normal system and then my, I've got two boys. So one is, is at the end of primary uh, year. And then mm-hmm. the other one, um, my eldest Tom has actually started in the secondary school. So he's like two years into secondary school here. And when he started secondary school, it really felt like you stand by the edge of a harbor and mm. you put your child on this cruise liner mm. where it literally hop on this boat and you all going on this journey you as parents are not involved yeah and and what i'm watching and the more i do the podcast and i talk to experts and people is that literally we are there's a rhetoric a language about what the child should do and we can talk about that but also all the kids on this boat some of them fall off the boat and we don't even throw void at them because it's like well they'll sink or sort it out themselves we don't care there's plenty more on this boat to keep us going and the thing is the kids who are still left on this boat a they might not be want to be on the on the cruise liner right and b they're so scared that they're going to be the next one to fall off that is oh my god and and so they're all like petrified not enjoying the journey yes and really like scared and 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 the parents are watching believing that that's what it has to be that's like the image i have so what do you think that is a perfect metaphor i've not heard anyone describe it like that but that is entirely right they don't know where in fact they don't know where the boat is going right they don't know um they may not even want to be on the boat there may be another boat going in another direction that is the one they want to be on they can't make it over there and so as a parent, our job, just like when you take your child to a pediatrician, 
is to find out how your child is doing and then to support their journey towards physical health, or in this case, learning and educational health. And for me, the most healthy learner or the most the person who has the most healthy education is a young person who's really curious and who loves to learn. They're not, not, they're not learning because they're afraid of falling off the boat or getting pushed off the boat. They're learning because they absolutely love mm. to learn. That's what makes us human. Yeah. So I love your metaphor. And if you don't mind, I might steal that. That's fine. <laughs> steal away. <laughs> it's, it's okay. But I just, yeah, I absolutely, for me, that's the, an image that really works. Um, and so, and I agree with you because I think, um, you know, we are naturally curious. So I'm, I'm working on the third book and the, the working title for the third book is, you know, educating round children in a square system. Interesting. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Um, and then the, 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 the underneath is why unlearning is the key to a flourishing education. I love it. I'm interested. So, um, and the idea I have is that I guess because I'm, I've been the product of an education back home in France that has, you know, my, my teacher, I've said that in previous podcasts, one of my French teachers um, said she's rubbish and she'll never amount to anything oh, wow. of me at a parent evening. Um, oh. um, and, and I just, I've spent the whole of my life feeling like an imposter or like, yes. one thing, you know, worrying that somebody's going to find out that I'm rubbish. Mm. And then, you know, um, so really tough. And I just yeah. think that part of the problem of being on that cruise liner as well is that we, you know, it's the story of the golden Buddha, isn't it? It's just like we just cake ourselves up with all this mud because yep. you don't want to show who you truly are. That's right. Because actually there might that might mean you might fall off the right, <laughs> right. Thrown right. overboard or whatever. Um so, you know, how, how does that fit in with, with what you, you do in terms of the, like the concept of unlearning? Does yeah. that resonate with, with the work oh, that you do? Very much so. I mean, at first off, I'll say that your story and your experience in education is not unusual. Um, you know, as you mentioned, lots of kids go through the schooling system and they feel like if they make it through, they feel relieved that they didn't, uh, again, using this metaphor, get pushed off. Um, or they make it through and they feel um, like they are an imposter and they never want to, they don't believe they're capable of learning things. They don't believe they're capable of, uh, of creating, of pursuing things that are important to them because they've never been given that freedom to, to do it. And so this idea of unlearning is a beautiful one. Um, but I think that unlearning actually has to start with the parent because the parent has been trained to believe that the way my child becomes quote unquote successful is by submitting to the educational structures and doing exactly what is told them to do. And maybe for you know, a 50 year period of time that actually worked for folks, maybe. Um, I'm not sure if it, it actually did, but there's no question that right now in the 21st century, the idea of a person following rules as being a well-prepared adult, there's no way that that makes any sense. Our world is transitioning it so quickly that the 
best students, the best learners that emerge from an educational experience are kids that are flexible, that understand how to learn, that understand how to solve problems, uh, that are, that are self-motivated, not motivated because someone is telling them to do that. And again, our entire educational system, and that's just not in the US, it's in the UK, it's in France, it's in Germany, it's in Asia. It all is about conformity. Mm. At the very moment in our history as a species where conformity is going to be the last thing you want in a learner. Um, again, a robot is excellent at conforming and doing the same thing, right? We need creatives, people who can see problems before they show up. And that is a skill that will not be developed in a traditional learning environment, unfortunately. Mm. And it's, you know, the, the question I keep asking myself is what happens to the curious, so four-year-old who keeps asking why? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I remember the question Thomas asked me when he was about three. Um, he sort of randomly said, well, three or four, and he said, why is this, this bird not getting an electric shock when he lands on the wire? Mm. And I'm like, I don't what know. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's find the answer. <laughs> that's, that's, the right, that's the right answer. Now, what I would have said would have, I would have either made something up or what I, I may have discouraged him from asking the question right? Because we had, we had to go to, you know, go to a baseball game or something or, or a soccer match. Um, so, so what the way you just handled that or just described it is exactly how we need to teach parents to unlearn mm. this idea that kids should be seen and not heard, which is a, a, a philosophy that was very prominent here in the United States. I'm not sure in Europe. It is the same. Yeah, right. We're in a different world. So the unlearning for parents is when a child asks a question uh, to understand what's actually happening, that's the child signaling to the parent, I'm curious and I need to help figure out this world. Can you help me to do that, mom or dad? And by dad saying, shut up, you know, um, we, we're late versus that's a great question. How would you figure out how to solve that? Now you're teaching the child how to solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. And they could talk to a friend, they could talk to uh, you know, scientists in the community, they could go online and find the information out, but they can learn how to solve their own problems. And that is a critical, is maybe the critical skill for a high functioning adult in, in the 21st century. Yeah, and he still remembers the, the response. So he's still really and and in case you were wondering, they do get a bit of an electric shock, but because they're not earth, that's why they don't get killed. They're not, yes, that's there right. You well, go. <laughs> well I I now now I'll tell you, I, I do know enough about electricity to know why it doesn't happen. Um, but that's the other issue, right? So parents, if we just give answers to kids. The kid never has the, mm. learns how mm. to discover for themselves. And it's so much more valuable and rewarding to discover something than to be told something. Yeah. Um, so here's a whole concept, uh, Fabian, um, that, uh, have you heard about the concept of a learning coach? I've heard the term. But yeah. Not, yeah. And you can probably piece it together to make sense of what it means, but a learning coach is, it's, you know, again, I talk about myself, I'm a parent coach. A coach ideally is not shouting orders. A coach is standing beside the player and saying, 
what do you need? I'm seeing some blind spots. I'm seeing some things you may want to explore. And let's, let's do some um, experiments because there's some things that you could get better at uh, based on your own interests. So a learning coach is, would stand beside your son and listen to that four-year-old question. It could be a parent. This learning coach could be a hired person, who knows. But the, their job is to support curiosity and to support the four skills that every high-functioning adult has. Let me go through them real quick. Every high functioning is able to set a goal or define or to define a problem, right? Then they can develop a plan on how they're going to reach that goal or to solve the problem. Then they execute on that plan and then they evaluate it. And mm -hmm. the learning coach at the age of three or four or five years old will support that child developing those four skill sets. So at some point in the future, that child knows how to solve problems on their own without the, the architecture or the scaffolding of a learning coach. And that's really our, that should be one of our major goals as parents to have our kids able to live independently uh, without us standing next to them, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're now able to solve their own problems. So yeah. that's, that's, I don't know. It, I, it's, I love, no, I, I love that. I, it really makes sense. And there's two things that came to mind. So the first one is the Chinese uh, proverb of, you know, uh, feed a man a fish a day and, yes. you know, they, they'll eat and then right. teach them how to fish and then they'll eat for a, uh, their whole for a lifetime. lifetime. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So that, that to me is like the image that came up. Is the, yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But so what also came up when you were talking about the parents or parent coach and you know being a learner's coach mm -hmm. is culture mm. so one of the things that i'm i'm keep i keep wondering and partly because you know i obviously have, i'm french i came over to the uk my background is linguistics and intercultural oh. competence so mm -hmm. um I, I, I worked with loads of businesses before going into education was training, you know, um, business people to do trades with different cultures. Yeah. And I really, um, I love culture and I love language. And I think, I think those two play a massive part in, in the world of education. So the culture right our society i don't know if it's the same in the states i assume it is but for us it's we are constantly told that our kids you know it's about competitiveness so you, yes. you've got to make them competitive yes for the the, the world you know uh, of jobs or you know or, or of employment um and so from a, a young age in, in secondary school, we ask them to think about what they want to do in life. What do you want mm -hmm. to be when you grow up? Um, so, you know, ask a 14 year old what he wants to do or a 15 year old. I mean, hello, <laughs> I'm not even yeah. sure what I want to be doing. And exactly, exactly. Right. Yep. yep. So, and we then funnel or channel them like on those different cruise liners, depending. Right. Yes. So yes. there's that. There's also the, the culture and the pinning in society. The fact that if you are good at school um, mm. and they start from the minute, the minute your child is born and they start sort of exploring, you're, you're good at making a jigsaw, you're clever. Mm. You know, 
you so so the labels and the identities we give our children you know she's so clever she's so bright right you know, no she just made a, a jigsaw like you know, yes. it's like um and and that mix of academic you know so for me i never say he's he's clever and i've always challenged people with the with the bot is when also with like Skinner's conditioning so good boy you're doing what I want so you know yeah okay yes. good yes. boy and and there's the, therefore you'll do more of what I like and you yes. know and naughty because you do what I don't like and how do we shift that culture because it's massively like it's ingrained in the same way that you know kids are not seen and heard yes. all of that is underneath you know I, I don't know if you're familiar with the iceberg um of, yes. of culture right yes it's yes all hidden at the bottom yep and nobody and talks about it we never talk about it we don't even realize it right it's the idea that we're we're swimming in a a, a sea of our culture and we don't even realize it's there because mm -hmm. it's just so normal to us so here is how i when i work with a parent parents come to me for a couple of reasons uh, one you know sometimes they'll come because their child is really in trouble and oftentimes it's so late that it takes a lot of unlearning on the child and the parent to overcome that. And that's unfortunate. But when they increasingly, I've been talking to parents who have kids who are three and four and five years old, and there, there's this beautiful opportunity. And here's how I describe it to parents. I say, think of a continuum. And on the left side of the continuum is the traditional learning environment. And you, you described some of it it's competitive, right? There are grades and the grades are measures of how well you are doing. Um, if you get good grades, then you're smart. If you don't get good grades, then you're not smart, right? And a lot of that in the traditional is focused on what do you want to do for your career, right? That's, that's college is also a major goal of that traditional model, right? Now, I, then I say, okay, let's, let's go on the other side of the spectrum. And let's imagine what I would call a learner-centered environment. And in the learner-centered environment, it is not competitive. It's actually collaborative. That's the goal. We're going to work together as a team. Um, it's not about grades. It's about how much you learn. Because every parent knows, if they've gone through traditional learning, they know that you can sometimes get good grades and not learn a thing, right? In fact, my, that's, that's pretty much my entire educational experience. Not learning anything, but getting good grades. Right yeah. now, the other part of this new environment is um, it's not what you're going to do, but it's who you're going to be, what type of person you're going to be. And then again, the last one, and there's many more of this, but the last one I'll mention now is uh, this traditional model. It's about being smart and the uh, self-directed learner model is about your effort or your curiosity. And so I ask parents where on the continuum would you like your child to be? And every single parent I have said, or I've met with about this, and this is hundreds of parents now, every single parent said they want their child to move towards this learner-centered environment. And so if now parents are saying, okay, that's what I'm actually pursuing, now we can have a conversation about how do you do that, mm -hmm. right? But most parents don't even realize what the traditional model is teaching their kids about competition, about you're smart and that kid over there is dumb. 
And if that kid's dumb, you know, you don't have much commonality with them and you're successful They're They're not, you know, right. It, it, it's a really quite des, like destructive series of lessons that a child comes away with. But every single parent I've talked to has said they want their child to move towards that, um, that learner centered environment. And so that is the window of opportunity. That's when the door opens for parents to say, okay, help me understand what could be a different way to educate my child. And I would argue the way is to help your child educate themselves. And that's a conversation we may want to get into a little bit today as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yes, 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 I agree. And, and, you know, you've mentioned curiosity several times. So the research I've been doing around what makes students flourish at language at university, which is the topic of my first book. Mm. So I had almost 10 years when I ran my own business when the boys were little and then I went back to university where I currently work um, and to say that I was horrified by what I came back to is an understatement so you know same department but 10 years on mm. and you know seeing the stress and anxiety that yes. young people were displaying I was like yes. what the hell is going on here yes. so because I'm quite curious I was like scratching you know and and wrote the book anyway but the um the, the flourishing students, the, the model is that what I've seen from the interviews with the with students that I label flourishing. So, you know, it's a continuum, sometimes, you know, less than, than other days, mm -hmm. but they are what I call culturally agile. Mm. So they are um, they are showing. So they focus on their mental health, their physical health, their emotional health, uh, their social health and their spiritual health but also they are open, curious, flexible, resilient, and their language is different. So flourishing students will say to you, I'm struggling or it's challenging, but I'm trying, or I'm gonna give it a go. Whereas the languishing students will say, um, no, it's too difficult. And very mm. often swiftly followed by do it for me. Interesting. So, so the, What's really interesting is like those, you know, the, the cultural agility is literally, you know, skills, knowledge, aptitudes and attitudes. Um, and, and, you know, curiosity is one yes, of them. Sure. You know, it's just, it's, uh, um, so I find it really interesting, like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're saying that, which is also what I've seen in, in my research. Yeah. And, and because there are skills, knowledge, aptitudes, and attitudes, they're things that we can learn and we can That's develop. Right. That's right. There, well, and I'll, if I could jump in, I mean, there's another powerful cultural belief um, that that science has debunked long ago, and that's the idea that whatever who, whoever you are is fixed, mm -hmm. that you can't change. If you if you, I don't know. Let me make something up. If you if you don't feel like you're good in math, then you're permanently not a math person. That's not true. Or if I am, um, if I'm not very flexible, uh, I'm always going to not be flexible. That's not true. You can learn and change up to the point of death, right? This yeah. is, we are very, very, very moldable and shiftable creatures. Uh, but again, there's a dominant theory that has very pervasive that you are who you are and you can't change. And that's just not true. Yeah, like personality is permanent and you are, yes. you're born this way and you'll stay this yeah, way. And, sure. yeah. Skills are permanent. 
abilities mm-hmm. are permanent. That's not mm-hmm. true. It's, all mm-hmm. of it is moldable and flexible um, if the person wants to make a change towards it. So, Yeah, amazing. So that before I move to the what it means to, to be um, a self-directed learner and you know, mm-hmm. all of that, because I'm really interested in that. Sure. Um, another just one one more comment and i'd love your views on that in terms of the language and culture so for me flourishing education and that's why i love like the fact that you're focusing on parents Mm -hmm. education is what i call from uh cradle to grave it's lifelong learning okay bingo that's right education is not schooling that's right however when because and, and and maybe it's because I'm French and I've had to learn English as a second language. So I get really <laughs> funny with, with words because I'm just like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> so there's so many words that we use, like education, where we just assume that we are all completely on the same page. That's and that when we talk, we mean the same thing. And yep. so so often for parents, certainly in the UK, education equals schooling. Would you agree? Oh, see, that's, so the words are conflicted, are conflated, right? Education and schooling are completely different things. A school is a place where a child can go to learn some things, maybe. Hmm. But guess where, guess where other places the child learns things? They learn things in their home. They learn things in the neighborhood. They learn things in the forest. You know, they learn, they learn constantly. Mm. So the idea that education only happens in the four walls of a school is part of the unlearning that we have to help parents change. In fact, a lot of my language I have to intentionally change because I don't even use the word schooling. Like when, like two of my kids are learning at home now, but again, I don't even like that word phrasing because they're learning all the time, yeah. but they're just not learning in a traditionally structured four walls of a classroom. Um, so, so learning is different than school. And that's the, that's the language I use. I don't, I say school and I say learning. And those are two different things. Some schools you can learn, many schools you don't learn in but learning still happens whether the child, um, wherever the child is. And the question is, how do you maximize it? How do you encourage it? How do you make learning something the child wants to do rather than a chore that they have to endure? Yes. And, you know, going back to my image or my metaphor of the, of the cruise liner, yeah. if you have a child that's fallen overboard, drank water, almost sank and, and drowned, then I'm damn sure that they're not going to really want to go back into the the water of That's learning. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> In a they, hurry. <laughs> exactly. They're afraid of learning from that point on. Uh, I, I just had a post this morning. I was so my dad's 83rd birthday is today, and uh-huh. we had some conversations about learning. Now he grew up in a segregated uh, community in in um, in the United States. Um, discouraged from learning from an early age and only in his 40s did he start to actually learn to love learning Um, and since has been just wildly enthusiastic about learning but he spent 40 years of his life avoiding learning feeling like he was dumb feeling like he could not do things very intelligent yet man Um, but yeah he was traumatized by uh by the Uh system Yeah. yeah i can imagine okay so tell me about the 
you know, sort of learned centered, you know, it's mm-hmm. the learning and and self-directed learners. Sure. Um, because I would imagine, you know, I've I've interviewed uh, Dr. Gray in the past on oh, the podcast. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I've asked him because a lot of my friends and a lot of people, like people who are parents, the concept of trusting that your child will go and explore um, mm. on their own. The majority of the parents go, no, they'll go on, on their computer and play Fortnite. Yes. Every, yes. You know, every single day. Um, particularly my friends who like me have boys who love their games and yes, gaming and yes. you know uh, streaming like at the moment my teenager is like is all about streaming his games and yep. and I'm, try- I'm doing my best to keep up with him and like please share with me what you're doing what software are you using and and he's so ahead of me in terms of monetizing his streams and all of that i'm like yes going, can i have stripe and paypal and i was just like whoa <laughs> so scary um but i think part of the reason we as parents about you know freedom to learn or you know self-directed learners or you know or learning is because we are out of our depth yes that's exactly right so let's let's talk through this, and I'll yeah. I'll try to be really um, pragmatic and tactical about yeah. this. Um, no high high in the sky, and bring me back down if I do get high in the sky here. <laughs> um, good too. Yeah. So the first question that every parent should ask their child ask themselves really is: Is my child naturally curious or naturally lazy? Right. That's the first question because if the parent says my child is naturally lazy then what you need to build is a school to force them to learn because they're not going to learn on their own, right? But if you really stop and ask yourself, is my child naturally lazy or naturally curious? 99% of the parents will say, you know what? He is curious. She is curious. So that's the first choice that a parent needs to make, right? And it's a mental choice. If he is, is, if he is curious or if she is curious, then that means I can help support that curiosity and then they will learn, right? So now the question is, how do I do that? Okay, Um, if your child is in a traditional school, they're in classes for, let's let's do, let me be more specific. Let's say you have an eight-year-old boy and he's in a traditionally structured school seven hours a day. Um, That doesn't leave a lot of time for that child to explore the areas of interest to him, right? So what I would recommend for families is in the leading up to the summer months when school is out, you start to actually build a, what I call a shadow learning environment. It's a separate learning structure from your school. So day one, when school lets out, um, you ask, you actually have something, I, I call it the dream map. You start a conversation with your child and it's, it goes something like this. And I have a web, I have a YouTube video that describes how to do this. But um, you start by asking uh, son or daughter, I want you to, I want you to, let's brainstorm the most outrageously, just unimaginably amazing opportunity to learn that we can imagine for this summer. What, what's the one thing that you always wanted to learn or wanted to do, or wanted to be? Let's just put it on a, on a piece of paper and let's imagine it. So when you do this, you, what you're doing is you're asking the child to step away from the confines of school 
and to actually imagine what really is on their heart. Mm. Now, here is a place that that eight-year-old is a gamer. He might say, I want to be the leader, the, the best Fortnite player in the world. Now, as a parent, that's, that's really hard for you to go, okay, let's develop a plan on how you do that. But that's exactly what I'm going to encourage. And here's, here's how it would look. Um, what does it take to become the best Fortnite player in the world? The son might say, I have to play every day, all day. Are you sure that's all it takes? Well, that's what, are there other things that it might, do you understand how the game works? Have you studied the game? Have you studied um, uh, the, the, the technology that un, that's underpinning the game, right? Because I've under, come to understand that Fortnite, there are lots of ways to actually get inside of the game and to begin to understand it at a very granular level. Now, I know many kids whose parents have shepherded that type of learning. The child got so interested in what's going on underneath the hood of the game that they now became interested in coding and in game design and in, in everything related to the building of games. And let me remind people, parents, uh, the gaming industry is one of the biggest industries on the planet. I mean, it is hundreds of billions of dollars. It is enormous. Uh, and so if a young man or woman does start to build those skills, there actually is opportunity in the future. There's not opportunity in playing the game though. No. Right? And so the shepherd, the, the, the learning coach would stand behind the child and ask the, beside the child and ask questions about how could you do this better? Have you talked, have you learned about strategy? Have you learned about military strategy or understanding how to work in a cooperative environment? Do you understand psychology? Because there's a lot of psychology in this game. Do you understand how the game entices you to continue to play it? Right. There's a, there's a, this is making sense. There's yeah, so yeah, many yeah, things, yeah, sure, sure, sure. so yeah. many things that you can learn yeah. about um, something the child's interested in. And here's the two things that a parent needs to recognize. One, um, the child is going to learn this stuff super fast if he's curious about it. Right. So if you say psychology is going to help you, you, you win this game better, let's start learning about some psychology that, that I'm, I'm seeing or I can imagine playing out in this game. Um, psychology of loss, psychology of uh, every man for himself, or psychology of how do you work in a team. Those are all very deep subjects that a child could actually begin to explore at the age of eight, right? Um, and then once the child begins to express their own interests in that game, um, you you begin to piece out, again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a game that's based on, you know, war right? You can be studying World War II, World War I. What are the um, vehicles? And I mean, you can kind of open up that can of learning around that. Now, again, some parents would say, well, they're not learning traditional reading, math, science, uh, history. I would argue that they are learning it, but it requires the learning coach to facilitate it. And that's the part where most parents are like, I'm not sure how to do this. Yeah. But it is not as it's not as difficult as it might actually sound. And this is, by the way, Fortnite and learning through games is actually the, one of the most common conversations I have with parents, particularly of boys, because it's just so prominent. And let me ask you this question. If you try to force the child not to play the game, how's that going to go over? It's 
not going to go over very well. No, no, no. It's like it's like preventing your kids from having sweets at you know all their their childhood saying sweets are not good for you, and then they go to a party and they're the only kid by the table just. That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> Stuffing their face. Right. So the so, minute so, you give them the, the remote, they'll just be like, "I'm yes. not coming off." Like I'm addicts because it's like, "Oh, I've only got this time, and I've got to really go for it." All right. Well, but the other part of this is that there is a a sense of time mm, that parents feel like if my child is not learning what they should be learning at every moment, that they're falling behind their peers. Yeah. Now, this is a this is a really important change of, of way of way way some parents should be thinking because when a child if you want your child to go to college and I want to assume that a lot of parents do right and I've sat on the board of two colleges one was a selective public university in Missouri uh, in the United States the most common attributes that that a college admissions officer sees are kids who are good students, good grade point averages, um, good test scores. Those kids are a dime a dozen. They're so common. But what's not common is a kid who actually genuinely has built an expertise in something that they're interested in. And I can promise you, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push the Fortnite idea away and I'll replace it with a, a, a young woman I learned about who at the age of 11 or 12, loved tanks. She loved tanks. Who knows why? Um, but her learning coach said, okay, let's explore tanks. And they began doing exactly as I described with Fortnite. They began to, to expose her to tanks that would go to shows and see the tanks. Then they started to build tanks. And then they started to talk to engineers that created, that, that, um, that, that made tanks. And then they went and visited where tanks were actually being built, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, after three or four years, this girl was a, a regional expert in tank strategy, in military operations using tanks. She had papers written at the age of like 15 years old. Universities were calling her, asking her if she would come to their university, you know, because they want someone who has, mm. who has genuine interest and curiosity in a subject that kid is going to go on campus and it's going to start research. It's going to start clubs. It's going to um, advance a, a professor's uh, work. That is what universities are actually looking for. They're not looking for kids who are, I follow the script every day. It is, it is a hard thing for parents to get their heads around, but I can promise you that it is true. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not, because I work in one, we're not, yeah. we're not interested in those in students who just are interested in that bit of paper that says they've got a degree. Yes, yes. No. <laughs> that's that's, <not laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so one of the things that came up for me, and I know that some of my listeners will be thinking about that as well. Sure. Learning coach. So mm -hmm. as a parent, part of the reason it's use well it's not useful the part of the reason we stand on the harbor and put our kids on the cruise liner is that we don't have to have the responsibility or feel that we have the responsibility to educate our children okay yes. 
and the whole debate around homeschooling while schools are closed, even though they're not closed, but that's a different conversation to be yes. had, right? Yes, um, yes. As, a, as a parent, you know, literally I asked when I was researching for the third book, I asked my youngest, um, who's 10 and a half, why do, I, why do you think I send you to school? So the first, mm -hmm. and why do you go to school? So his first response was, I go to school because I like to challenge and stretch myself. So I was like, yeah, get in. You know, it's yeah, quite yeah. Right? A good answer. Second good one, answer. he looked at me and he went, and you sent me to school because daddy and you don't want me around all day. Mm. <laughs> exactly. And I went, Ouch. ooh, <laughs> like that. And he just went, oh, but don't worry. All parents are like you. It's not oh. just you. So it's like, obviously, bless him. <laughs> Saw my face. And I was like, so, you know, to go back to my question, mm. the sheer reality is a lot of us who work full time. Yes. And, you know, who haven't been involved in, in, what we see we have been because that's part of the conversation that we also need to have is our kids spend two-thirds of their time with us that's right one-third in school right but nobody talks about the two-third they are doing with us exactly and how much they're learning at yes with the yeah. mm -hmm. so so what would you what would be your answer to a parent who says to you but you know i don't want to be a learning coach yes so um Okay, in the early years, the child does require supervision, right? You can't let an eight-year-old just wander around, right? Um, but there's a concept called micro schools. Have you heard of that concept? No. Okay, a micro school is essentially three or four parents who get together and say, we're going to now co-support our, ch our child's learning in a learning pod is another language for it. Um, but the idea of a micro school is on the subjects that are uh, cumulative, like math and reading, those things are taught and supported individually. So each child may be reading a different book because they're at different levels. Each child may be doing different math because they're at different levels. But on the things that are communal, acting, uh, art, history even, um, those can be things that are done in community with kids of different ages. And so what ends up happening is the child learns so much faster in the things that are um, cumulative and enjoys learning so much more in the things that are communal. And not to mention that this is a, a model where you, you parents can work full-time. They just have to be able to either flex mm -hmm. a schedule or find other parents that can take over one day or two days of, of, of supervision over the week. But when the child hits around the age of 11, 12, 13, if this learning, uh, if learning coaching has been happening, the child has learned how to learn themselves. And so for me and our kids, and I'll, maybe we should talk about my kids, um, from the age of about 12 or 13, my role shifted to being just a, a learning coach entirely. And what we would do is we would have a check-in. We would we would talk in the morning and say, what's going on? What are you learning about today? What's your plan? What do you need help with? And the children were off, off doing it themselves. And that is the aim, right? So now I can work a full-time job because mm -hmm. I spend 30 minutes checking in with them in the morning. And then they're off to the races. I check with them in the afternoon. 
Uh, they're old enough to maintain and supervise themselves. They let me know when they are having difficulty with their continued learning and we strategize about how do we, how do you watch less YouTube videos? What are the strategies? Why are the reasons, what are the reasons that you're watching YouTube, right? We, we actually process that. The child becomes autonomous. They become mm -hmm. able to mm -hmm. learn anything they want without an overseer. Yes. And that to me, again, is what a learner actually looks like. Yeah. So the parent who is working full-time, yes, there's a couple years of training where the child is now learning how to handle these things on their own. But once they reach that point, you as the parent, now you can move into a completely different role. And that role is the supervisor, the coach, the encourager, the facilitator, and it does not require a ton of time. Uh, but the, the results are quite amazing when you see your, your kids learning. Can I tell you a couple stories about my yeah, kids? Yeah, 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 of course, of course, please. So, please. Yeah. yeah, so, um, oh my goodness, where do I start? Um, so I'll start with my daughter who, uh, she, we, we were in a hybrid model school for multiple years where she went to school two days a week and then was at home for the other three days, well, the other five days a week. Um, those three, those two days, she was in a traditionally structured classroom, but the other days we could, we could do our homework and then do art, do whatever we wanted to do. Um, um, I had a flexible job, so I was able to supervise some of that. But again, around the age of maybe 12 or so, she began to become autonomous. Now, when she hit ninth grade, she decided she wanted to go to a traditional public school. She went, had a great time but had to spend 10 hours a day, seven hours in class, and then two or three hours at home on, on homework every day. Mm -hmm. She ended up quitting as a straight A student. She quit after one year as a straight A student. And she said, I can learn twice as much, uh, you know, in half the time and, and be able to enjoy myself, to spend time with my family, to learn how to cook, to do the things that I, she's very, she loves to swim. So to do swimming and things like that. So since that point, she has been building her own learning plan. And that's what's possible when a child has demonstrated their ability to learn on their own. She's building her learning plan. She went to university at 15 and sat in a classroom with, um, with 18, 19 and 20 year olds and, you know, and outdid them, you know, was one of the best yeah. students in the class at 15, not because she's smart, but because she now was leading her own learning and she wanted to take that biology class. She was, she wants to learn about biology. So she was able to lean in, in a way that is unusual. Those are the ways, those are the opportunities that exist, but yes, there's time and there's going to be some, some struggle in the early years, but the payoff is so profound and so valuable. It is worth the, the, uh, the it was worth the cost in my view. Um, and, I would, and again, there's a lot of individual coaching that we could talk about in terms of like, what do I do when my child does this? And, um, you know, my child is doing these things or my, my, my children are not operating in the way I should, right? There's a lot of coaching around that, which we could talk about, but it would really require specific situations to talk mm -hmm. about. But, um, but this is the opportunity that's out there. And, and, and for the parent who's never seen it, it's hard to get their head around it, but it's out there. And I tell you, it is so beautiful when it, when it starts to work and you can see it in a very short period of time. Um, if you commit to this type of kind of structure, it's, it's, I've seen it so many times. Yeah. Yes. And it's, uh, and, and then you trust, it's like this real trust that your child will, 
we'll just go and explore what resonates with them and the curiosity and that, you know. Well, I, 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 I say trust, but verify, yeah. right? Okay. Yes, I'm trusting my children are going to learn, but I also verify that they are, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it takes, it takes, you know, um, the longer the child is in the traditional model, the harder it is for them mm -hmm. to switch into this model because yeah. for, for seven, 10 years, a kid has been told, here's what school is, here's what you're going to learn about. And now all of a sudden you throw them into a situation where they develop it themselves. That's hard. So for a lot of families I've talked to who's, who want to make that transition, it takes six months of really slowing things down and really just kind of relaxing and just kind of decompressing before the child can begin to even ask questions like, what do I want to learn about? Most kids don't know. Ask for your listeners, go today, ask your child, what's one thing you're super curious about? Ask them and then ask them, how often do they get a chance to, to, to learn about that thing? And the almost 90% almost of the time, the answer is never because they're in a traditional learning environment. That to me is, is a really sad statement. I'm, yeah. I'm preaching now, aren't I? It's fabulous. So, so tell me, if I'm a parent mm -hmm. who has sent their children into, you know, on the cruise liner, and yep. suddenly decides, no, I don't, I don't think it might be. Uh, I guess you want to ask your child whether they want to stay on the cruise liner or do something else, right? Well, um, hold on. On that point, though, say keep your keep your question. But yeah, asking the child if they want to get off the cruise line is a little tricky because the child may enjoy the social aspects of school, but hate everything else, Okay. right? So when you're asking the child, you're asking to choose between time with my friends and something that I don't understand. And yeah, I'm gonna choose my friends every time. Yeah. So what I would recommend is that you don't even ask that, you just start to create a model outside of the traditional learning model where they can start to see what it feels like and then at some point you ask them, would you like to stay in this new different model or go back? And many times kids will say, you know what? No, this is so much better, right? So anyway, so sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, you, no, no, it's perfect. It leads to my question. So okay. that's absolutely perfect. Um, so actually, you know, I was gonna say, is it too late? Is there mm -hmm. ever a point where it's too late is my first question. And what happens in terms of what you were saying in terms of socializing because that's also one of the comments that my listeners will will come up with as, as a you know but we go to school to socialize our kids yes. um and when they're learning at home on their own they're not socializing and they're not developing the skills that you know you, you were talking about you know mm -hmm. the, the, learner for the 21st century one of them is being able to uh, interact talk um, you know, be, be sociable and, you know, collaborate, all of those things. So yep. how does that, you know, what would your response, would your response be? Right. So the first question was, is it too late? Yes. And no, it's never too late. It just, it's harder. It's almost like um, weaning someone from smoking. Um, it's harder the longer they've been smoking in some cases, right? Okay. So, yeah. um, and, and the process just takes, you have to be a little bit more, intentional and slow with the process, but absolutely uh, it's possible. And then the second question around socialization, that's the number one pushback I get around the conversations we're describing. And here is my answer to that question. The first is, let's be clear. 
kids learn a lot of social stuff at school. Some large percentage of that socialization is actually not good, right? The reason that kids get tied into um, Fortnite is because everyone in their school is doing it. And so if everyone's doing anything in the school and they're not doing it, they're going to be socialized to start doing that thing, whatever it is, good or bad, right? So we have to remember that socialization cuts both ways, right? The second one is, um, who do you want your child to be good at socializing with? And when I mean, when I mean by that, I ask the question, um, do you want your child to be good at socializing with adults, with people of a variety of different ages, or with kids of their own age, right? If you think about that question, I don't, you said you're 46. Um, I can't remember the last time I've interacted or worked with someone who was my own age. I mean, since I, since even in graduate school, you know, we had a bunch of people who were, you know, 30s and 20s and 40s. Um, only in K-12 from, you know, five years old until, you know, 18, are you around kids your own age? And the rest of your life, you're around people of all different ages. And so I want to make sure my kid is able to talk to adults, to interact with older people, to interact with younger people. And that is something that is really hard to do in a traditional model school. And then the last one is this. Um, my daughters are a part of a swim program. One is on a track team. One is an actress. Um, they, they, get, they get opportunity to socialize. And that opportunity also creates another learning for them because now they have to contact the friend and invite the friend to go to the movies or have a picnic, right? Now they have to be in an intentional way of, of inviting relationship rather than the passive way of just showing up in school and people are there for, to socialize. So there's lots of benefits of moving away from tradition um, but I wouldn't, I would encourage your listeners not to put too much weight on the idea that I want my kid to be able to speak and to speak the language of eight-year-olds mm -hmm. and to, and to know how to talk to eight-year-olds, but not nine or 10-year-olds. Um, and that, that actually is, again, a, to me, it's a pretty logical uh, argument, but again, it's, it's countercultural and it's different than what most parents uh, have gone through themselves. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to go for those counter of you know that the those things you know i i i keep thinking you know when we start started saying that the earth was round everybody didn't believe it right bingo yep so this is what i'm thinking with with this with our conversation yes that we currently have a system that quite frankly is creating the you know a lot of issues for young people yes. and it's a little bit like the, the earth is flat so yes. we just we have to show that actually there is a different way and that we right. can we can we can do something different. That's right. Here's here's something that I also say oftentimes is that normal is broken. Mm. So if nor and again it, in the United States, I mean, my goodness, there are many examples. I mean, I can I can just walk down the street and point how normal is broken. Um, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but if normal is broken then the very last thing you want to be is normal. You want to actually be weird. Yeah. And weird is, is a, is a 13 year old who starts a business, right. Who learns all kinds of incredible learning from starting a business. And by the way, if the business fails, they learn even more yeah. than if, this, if yeah. the business was successful. Yeah. Right. 
another conversation that we could have around the about how schools train kids to avoid failure. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, 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 yeah. failure yeah. has to be something that a kid actually leans into mm -hmm. in the 21st century, right? So these are all the things that are possible if we can find the time. And unfortunately, school eats up so much time in our kids' daily lives and so much social energy, so much emotional energy. There's not much left over, frankly. No, um, no, no. And everybody's so frazzled and and in the, the fret system anyway that you've got no space for anything else. So, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you know what, Matt? What of an amazing conversation. I could speak to you for hours. I'm conscious of, of your time, so I don't want to <laughs> take all well, of your I'm I'm happy to come back. This has been really enjoyable. I I, uh, I love talking to our friends across the pond. Yeah, no, I love I loved it. Um, to to before we finished, I always mm -hmm. ask my guests, you know, if if you had one or two things that you would want to leave the listener with, um, you know, to take from our conversation, what would these two things be? Hmm. The first is. Um, is I would encourage parents to pay really close attention to the news, uh, particularly the news on the work front, how businesses are uh, increasingly saying that we don't care if you have a degree. We care if you have good skills and yeah. if you can prove that you have those skills. That's a really important trend that most parents aren't even aware of. I mean, Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, I mean, a lot of big companies that are saying, you know what, we, we don't care anymore. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is surround yourself with assistant coaches, right? What I mean by that is the, the parent is the head coach. That means the parent is, has to play the role of supervisor. They don't have to do the work necessarily, but they have to make sure that their child is progressing. And how do you do that? You have, you have assistant coaches who can support the child and can support you. So I would look at you, Fabienne, as an assistant coach to parents who can listen to your show and learn some things to help them become a little bit better mm -hmm. at their work. I would offer to, to think of me as an assistant coach and folks are, are willing to, or, or I'm, I'm willing to talk to folks uh, independently for free because this is my work, this is my passion. They can schedule a time with me and I'll, and we'll go through some conversations around strategy about how do you become a head coach parent? So those are the two things. One, one, pay attention to what's happening in the news. And then two, surround yourself with assistant coaches like yourself. And I'd be happy to play a role as, as an assistant coach as well to some of your listeners. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I just feel so enthusiastic about the whole the whole good thing. this is yeah. this is this Have is it. actually really great this is fun it's actually a, amazing for kids it's mm. amazing for families and i can mm. tell you story after story maybe next time if you invite me back i can tell yeah. you some stories yeah i'd love i'd love to have you back because it's been really fascinating and great. Uh, great. yeah i'm very grateful it's been a pleasure thank you so much okay thank you take take care of yourself yeah you too okay bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me 
via Twitter at Flourishing Heichi on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.